occasion to to speak about the Dhamma. The Dhamma, the Pali, is the Pali word or Dharma, the Sanskrit word. It's a word that has a lot of meanings. Traditionally in our monasteries, when someone uh, gives a talk, we call it a Dhamma talk. Dhamma can mean a wide range of things. It can mean nature, the true nature of things. A talk on the way things are, talk on nature. In a formal sense, the Dhamma, the Dhamma, is the teaching of the Buddha, which which pointed the way towards peace. Beings who contemplated this teaching, practiced this teaching, would incline to peace. So my intention this evening is to offer some reflections to encourage all of us to to use our energy and our our creative energy. All of us are creators. We're creating all the time. We've created this evening tonight by choosing to come here. We can create all sorts of things. If we don't like what we've created, we can walk out the door, see the hallway. If we don't like that, we can walk up the stairs, see another creation. If we don't like that, we can close our eyes and start imagining where we think we should be. It's another creation. Every moment is a creation. Karma is created. Every moment is created. My intention is that may this Dhamma talk encourage us to to incline in such a way so that our creations are peaceful, harmonious, wise. Why do we come? Why do we gather together? Come to listen to someone speak on Dhamma. It's very important to to start to listen, to notice the motivations in our hearts. What are we looking for? What are we wanting? Peacefulness? Love? Certainty? Understanding? Freedom? A good friend? 
encouragement. Maybe we're looking for support for our view. Maybe we enjoy picking apart other people's views. We like to hear things and reinforce our view that it's all a hoax, it's all a trick. And that's possible to start to listen and notice if this evening I can just offer a suggestion and encourage us to begin to honestly notice the karma that which we create all the time to acknowledge it then I will feel that it has been useful useful time what we create we set into motion I remember a time 1970 12 years ago before I ordained I went to Thailand to ordain as a monk in 1976 so the year before the year before I went I was had encountered this idea of meditation I had encountered it I've told some of you before I'd heard of this notion I encountered through reading of this notion of cosmic consciousness inspired me very much also I had read some of Carlos Castaneda's books on stopping the world and all these other amazing things and uh, so I was excited excited by it all and uh, 12 years ago I was traveling through France with a friend meditating on my own I didn't have the slightest idea of what I was doing except there was certainly a lot of desire in my heart desire for what? desire for experience spiritual experience exciting experience I used to hear this kind of roar in my head and I thought ah that's a good sign a spiritual experience I put a high premium on vision things like that and as my friend and as we were traveling through France for a while we picked apples and went around different parts of the country and I would meditate I would sit in exciting places on edges of canyons and uh and in not so exciting places but places I was drawn to the quiet places of churches throughout the French countryside I would just stop in and sit in them revving up on this kind of sound I could hear <laughs> waiting for things to happen waiting for the colors to start forming the feeling of kind of the vibration increasing waiting to lift off like a rocket <laughs> And I thought I was making some progress because uh, in the south of France I had some very exciting dream visions. And I thought, aha, those are very good signs. And one of them involved an animal. 
which is a very good start. <laughs> I was sleeping in the back of the car. We, we slept in the back. It was a Triumph Herald something or other that I was driving. That's a whole story in itself. <laughs> which I'll leave. That's one good reason I ordained, to leave. In the back of this car, then in the middle of the night, I started to have a dream. I was at home, Tennessee, right at the place where a ladder had fallen as I was a child and I had knocked out my, knocked out some of my, or done something to some of my teeth. Had to go and get my lips sewed up. I thought, that's significant. Right at that spot where I had fallen. And there was a, a blue polka dotted pillow, aha, that was there. And it was spinning around. I don't remember which direction. And, and a presence, a presence started coming toward, coming toward the car. I wasn't in the car, coming toward where I was in this, in the grass. Though it was invisible, the grass went down as if something was coming to it. And it was a very pleasing presence, something delicious, exciting because it was unknown, but deliciously attractive. And then in the dream, my, I think it was the right side of my head exploded, like that. I suddenly woke up and there was an animal. There was an animal perched right outside the car some sort of animal. I just saw its eyes glowing. Wow! It ran off. So I thought, I'm getting close. I'm getting close to something. And I had a very elaborate interpretation of this, which I won't go into. And soon after that, we went to the gorges of Tarn. And at this time, me and my friend were, were not getting along very well. And I wanted to meditate. She didn't like meditation very much, more active type. And so I was sitting on the side of this place, feeling this irritation, knowing there's just, why can't I do it? And there was a big stump in front of me, a huge stump. What it was doing on the side of that mountain, I don't know, but there was a big, huge stump. And obviously it wasn't rooted into the ground because in a kind of fit of I'll show the world. I just pushed it. It moved. <laughs> Went right over the edge. And I thought, wow, look what I've done. And then suddenly I looked down. And there was a road below there. And this thing was hundreds of pounds. I set this thing going. This thing's bounding down this mountain. There's a road. And then there's a person walking down the road. I thought, oh my God. Oh, they'll see me. I'm backed up quickly. <laughs> then this thing's bounding down this mountain. It's miles. Well, miles. At least a mile. <laughs> Maybe two. Could be more. <laughs> and this thing, as far as I could see, it's bounding, taking leaps. Ten yards, twenty yards. This thing's leaping down the mountain. And I thought, gosh, and then down toward the river, the, at the bottom, the creek, whatever it is, at the bottom of the gorges of Tarn. I thought, God, what if someone's fishing down there? 
This thing comes down and smushes me. You laugh. I was absolutely horrified. I've killed somebody. I've killed somebody. No. What have I done? Stop. Wouldn't. Just kept going. Then suddenly panic. Absolute panic. My meditation's gone. Absolute panic takes me and I think, oh, I've got to, I've got to accept this. Started sliding down this mountain, getting down to the road, and going below that. Going on down, wanting to see. What, was someone there? Couldn't see anybody, but didn't want to really want to go much farther in case I did see somebody. And it's like karma. You set something going, then it moves. We've put it into motion. Now, right now, we're moving all sorts of stuff around, most of us. We've got all sorts of wheels spinning. Very important to stop. One thing at least I, I learned from that, I don't know what happened at the bottom of that mountain. But I prayed, and then uh, it wasn't long after that I started learning <coughs> that one c- don't push things down mountains. <laughs> Recently I went into London to see a boy. 14 years old. He's trying every conceivable way to kill himself. Every conceivable way. Starved himself to the point where he's on a drip feed. Every time he gets loose, he's, many times he's run out, tried to hang himself. Escaped, got a rope, tied it to a veranda on the road. Jumped off, only because he was so light did it not break his neck. A miracle that he wasn't paralyzed or killed. Tried to jump in front of cars. I went to see this boy out. By some quirk of fate, we have this connection. Slight connection. He's still very intent in that mind of his. There's a thought in the mind Death is the end. There's no hope. If I just kill this body, it'll be over. If I just get rid of that, it'll be over. Then I'll be free. Free of this family, free of this disappointment, free of this pain, free... Sensitive, no question about the sensitivity of this young man. Feels like very... sharply but there was an amazing irony that I met on the day when I saw him that day he starved himself so much that now he's involuntarily he was involuntarily retching wretched sound I can't do it much much worse just agonizing uh, spasm with the stomach which is empty because he's on a drip Stum- stomach which is empty he's going Ugh! much worse than that keeps going so he can't even talk tries to talk and that happens so I in between that speaking to him 
surrounded by wonderful nurses, encouraging him, giving him a lot of love and affection. And he was starting to feel very much in pain, very, a lot of suffering, didn't like that feeling, the body. He was getting a lot of sympathy. Now this might sound pretty cold hard, hard hearted to you. I didn't feel very much sympathy for the retching and for his attitude. I said, what do you expect? He pushed that stump down the mountain. Now he's looking over the, just like I was, looking over it. Oh, don't, stop, stop. When you fill your mind with, no, 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 starving yourself, just hating the body, hating everything around one, just and grasping preciously to the idea annihilation is the answer, knocking it all away is the answer. That's the answer. Get the family away. That's the answer. Things follow their nature. When I push that stump, it did what it's supposed to do. Once you push a stump over the edge of a mountain, it rolls down the mountain. That's what it's supposed to do. That's dumb It's following its nature. When you think that way and act that way, and give those kind of instructions to the nervous system, tighten up and push away and grasp at the thought. Annihilation is the end. It's the answer. It's peace. What do you expect your stomach to do? even like that he was holding on to the view I said well what are you feeling sorry for yourself for you're accomplishing what you want to do you're dying he was losing control though you lose control I like when you push that thing it follows its own nature it doesn't follow what I wanted to do I push it over the edge had my kick out of it and then say stop come back it doesn't do that follows its own nature. Now his body was following its own nature. He couldn't control it. And he wanted it to stop, not out of kindness, so that he could get control again and then do a quick job. Didn't like dying that way. Do a quick job. He was getting frightened. And I said, this is the result of how you've been living. But you can stop it. You can cease to accelerate that. And like a big ocean liner that's moving, you have to be patient for it to stop its movement. But it will stop if you cease accelerating. If you want to, if you want this to stop, you have to be kind. You have to be kind to this body. Fill this body with kindness. Kindness even to the discomfort in it. He wasn't very pleased with what I had to say on the surface of things. He was determined to pick holes in me as a monk, 
very intelligent, right as a whip. Pick holes in why I shaved my head. If I was a monk, what am I doing with a clock? Ah, the one bright moment he had. He saw my clock and he says, yeah, no money, huh? <laughs> Amazing. He says, it was given to me by the Plymouth Buddhist. What about the robes? Not that strong a voice. What about the robes? <laughs> so they were given to me. And so what could I do? Now, I could have created some more karma myself. That's what I felt. I felt that's what I could say. On the level, on the straight level of what happened on that day, it was a failure. I mean, what the... The father had hoped would happen, what we all had hoped would happen, you know, is a magic wand, monk, be at peace. Begin again. <laughs> of course there's... <laughs> of course there's hope. And then suddenly there would be kind of brightness and smiles and, and uh, transformation. And the nurse would say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, really. <laughs> And of course, that, that sort of, just like the kind of stage play of kind of frustrated meditator, Herculean type, moves big stump, uh, like that. Those kind of thoughts obviously went through my mind. But I, it's like I've learned a little bit from pushing that stump over that mountain. I wasn't going to force it. I told him what I thought. He says, you, how do you know? He says, I says, if you want to kill yourself, why don't you do it properly? You think you can kill yourself by hurting a body? All you're doing is you're creating all this misery that you have now. You kill yourself out of hatred and actually you reinforce the sense of, I can't stand it. You reinforce the sense of I and my preference through aversion. It reinforces the self. The more bullets you put into the self, you're giving it more and more strength, more and more life. If you want to do this thing properly, you've got to let, you, you have to let the self die with patience, kindness, and wisdom. And I said, with all that intensity you've got, the determination you've got, I've got no doubt. I mean, the guy's determined. He's got that hospital running around him. Amazing power. He says, I know, I don't have any doubt. I know you can do it. And this ease that your motive is fine. You want peace, but it's not going to bring it. He says, how do you know? You ask a thousand people what their view of death is, and they'll all tell you something different. You have your view, I have my view. Sharp, I mean, the guy's dying on the drip, and he's still maintaining that kind of control at 14. Incredible. So on that level, there was, there was not much happening. And yet in my heart, I knew, well, what can you offer? What can I offer? I cannot make a problem out of this. I'm not going to make a problem. Be kind, kind to that feeling of someone not listening, someone 
making fun of, someone disagreeing, someone suffering. My own mind wishing. There's peace with that. I sit there trying quite tranquilly. My body wasn't very tranquil. I was wired up on a few cups of coffee to try to survive the train. But my mind was tranquil. And then I saw someone else come in and try to encourage the boy, think a good thought, think a good thought. Can't you think of anything nice? Another person from another one of the hospitals. Can't you think of anything nice? She tried to tell him a story, and he corrected her pronunciation of the word bear. (laughs) And I thought, I'm, this is Dhamma, this is how it is. I'm not going to create a whole scene, a lot more suffering. There's suffering right there. I can notice that suffering. Trust in the transforming power of being attentive to it, kind to it, honest about it. Just sit there. Now, I'm telling you this. I'm sharing with you a change in my own, my own life. In my past, uh, my concept of winning was very cut and dry. My concept of winning was get your hand held up. Get an A. Perform a miracle. Just to be serene with, well, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do. Be at peace with that feeling of not knowing. Just not knowing. And finding confidence, though, in the truth of that. The truth meaning of just knowing that there's doubt. The suffering, just noticing how it is, being with that, very peaceful. Yet the father was delighted, delighted that I had just come in. I told him, I said, he, his, his only smile was finding me with my watch, convinced him, my clock, convinced him that monks are shams. The father said, no, the, he was delighted. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I'm happy. I don't know why. I told his father, I'm happy. It was a very strange thing. Went back on the train, exhausted. And right before I uh, collapsed in my uh, kuti, my hut, I'm living in a hut, got a phone call from the father, and he said, he speaks with a very, very straight accent. He says, Kitty Sorrow, I don't want to imply a causal connection. I thought, oh my gosh, he's jumped out a window. <laughs> I will go about it in a roundabout way. <laughs> What's he done? He says, the point is, this morning began with you visiting the boy. He phoned me excitedly. He's eaten his first sandwich. And he didn't retch. 
Now, you think that's so what? He ate a sandwich and he didn't retch. The joy, the joyful feeling came up into my heart at that time. Having joy for a, a boy who eats a sandwich and doesn't retch. And the father's right. We don't know the causal connections. We don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. But the father wanted me to know. For all I know, he could have jumped out a window today. <clears throat> but to feel some joy, to begin to even to feel some joy, some kindness for this body, that's the right direction. And it reinforces my own confidence in attention. We underestimate too much the power of our own attention, our own kind attention to things. We want, we want results now. We want something to happen now. And as a result, we put into motion, we, we, we push the stump down the mountain rolling with momentum. We put into motion desire, always desire, craving. Aversion for it. It's not going fast enough. It's not going fast enough. I've failed. I've failed. It didn't work. Maybe someone else could think of something better. We set all those karmic wheels into motion. These habits of worry then get stronger. These habits of judging ourselves get stronger. This materialistic kind of attitude of evaluating life and, and giving it a grade. How did I do? Get stronger. And mindfulness actual attention to how things are gets weaker and weaker as we as we're fooled by the the interpretations of life that our thoughts give us we, we become fooled by the interpretations of life going well not going well winning losing going too slow we have we've, we've we don't have we've lost in general we've lost confidence in a sense of trust in the transforming power of attention, attention, going to it. Trusting that that is nourishing, that is an ingredient in transformation. And if the, if the attention is kind, clear, honest, patient, that will affect the creation. It will create harmony. It will create wholeness. It will create health. In a small way, I've learned that with my own body, which is still not working very well. But it works so much better when I turn to the discomfort, when I turn to the heat in it, when I turn to the fatigue, and rather than revving on, getting all caught up in the evaluation of it all the time, I'm not well. How fast is it improving? Oh, I won't be able to do it. Just go to the feeling. Be with that. What is it? And so many times I've seen the miracle of transformation. When, you're, when the body's a wreck, give it attention, and then just watch then it, it's changing all the time. What we give attention to, we, we notice 
our fear is that if we give attention to something, just attention without really putting desperate desire, urgent desire to change it into the, into the recipe, our fear is that nothing will happen. The world will just languish. We've got to get in a flap about things. I used to feel guilty if I really wasn't feeling really upset about things. That, when you do that with your body, you start stirring into this, this bodily creation, that kind of worry, that kind of upsetness, even though your effort is to try to make it better, it's not going to respond very well. Now, the basis of this, what I've been talking about this evening, is, is the abiding of kindness. It's an abiding that the Buddha encouraged. He called it a noble abiding, a divine abiding, the Brahma-vihara, the noble abiding, rather than abiding in even hope, rather than abiding in desperation, rather than abiding in dogmatic clinging to some opinion, what do those lead to? Those lead to birth and death. The Buddha encouraged us to cultivate the Brahma-vihara, the noble abiding of kindness. Now what is kindness? Kindness and compassion. To be truly kind and truly compassionate, the heart has to be open. No matter how much I want to love you, because I never look at you, or feel you, or listen to you, or have some point of contact, or even think about it. There's not some point of contact, it's just a fantasy. We use this love, word love all the time, and what it, tends to, what it tends to mean is I like, I want to like you. Well, liking, liking disappears very easily. And a mother doesn't necessarily like like it when her child is, is ill in the middle of the night time. Mother doesn't necessarily like it when she's exhausted. But love is, is that willingness to be with things, to care, care for, be attentive to, even that which is unpleasant, painful. How much of our time is spent pushing things away, pushing stumps over the edge, pushing away thoughts that we're ashamed of, pushing away being with a feeling of restlessness, we just can't bear it, and, we, and it's just so much more pleasant. Oh, I love TV, turn on the TV. I love my music, turn on the music. Go into another world, go into a conversation. How often do we push away restlessness? How often do we push away boredom? How often do we push away desire? Not really look at desire, not really be even kind to desire. We get, we push it away by, by becoming absorbed in what desire is pointing at. Our desire points us at, I need this, I need that. I like this, I like that. We don't even, we don't really love anything.
Now, when we have this opportunity to stop sometimes, to be quiet as we do tonight, to contemplate Dhamma, I encourage us to, to notice how much of our, how much momentum, how much karmic force have we put into rejecting things. And that creates a separation, like that young man that I went to see, rejecting monks, rejecting family, rejecting this, rejecting the body, hoping that that's going to bring peace, and it brings agony, wretching. What do we reject? Can we allow our eyes just to notice the group, the group here, be with the feeling of that, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, nice feeling, not so nice feeling, feeling of this talk tonight, maybe it's not exciting like you'd like to be, maybe it's interesting, maybe you agree with parts and other, not some parts, but that feeling in the mind, can we, can we notice that without trying to push it away without trying to desperately grasp it. The body. How often do we reject the feeling of discomfort? Just don't want to know about it. As soon as discomfort comes, something to scratch, something to move, changing posture. If there's never any patience cultivated to to be kind to discomfort, then our life is an endless moving away toward the rainbow of there's a, there's a more permanent pleasure over there somewhere. We can see this. We can, we can see this whole process. Just as if, if we're patient with mechanics, we can open up a bonnet of a car and begin to understand how it works. If we, if we cultivate a, a, a care for this life, then we can start opening up the bonnet of it, looking into it. In a quiet moment, at least, looking into it and seeing what is going on. What am I creating? What am I moving towards? What am I pushing away? Just to note, begin to notice that. to have time to be with the suffering. And that's up to us. We can encourage someone, trust if you're with that suffering that you think is unbearable, if you contemplate it, it will transform in front of you. Suffering changes like everything else. The sun rises and sets. A rainbow appears and disappears, a storm cracks and disperses, and suffering arises and passes. But if we never, if we're intimidated by the feeling of suffering, if we're intimidated by depression, intimidated by restlessness, intimidated by boredom, intimidated by our likes and dislikes, we never let them cease. We recreate them by pushing them away and seeking their opposite for the time. So we get away from doubt for a while and grasp at some confident thought. But that grasping is not done out of wisdom. It's done out of the hope, oh, this won't change. But because a confident thought's just like a doubting thought, a confident thought. I'm okay. I'm okay. Listen to that. I'm okay. That thought begins and ends into the quiet. I'm okay. Begins and ends. 
You can't build a house on that. You can try. So why are we so intimidated then by the frightful thoughts, the doubting thoughts, if we can learn then to bear them when they come into our heart, turn to them, care for them, see what they are, invite them in for tea, come on in, hello. Stay a while rather than get so desperate, got to get an answer. What am I going to say to this boy? I've got to say something. Can we invite in for tea that agonizing feeling? I don't know what to do, and if I don't do something, maybe something will go wrong. We be bear with that, that stuka, that suffering, not knowing what to do when you think you'd better do something quick, is suffering. And if we turn to that suffering, we can see that that suffering ceases, it changes. If we reject it, push it over the mountain by grasping onto anything, just do something. Then still on our horizon in our lives, there's always the lurking thundercloud of that same feeling that reappears again, that same agonizing feeling that will intimidate us again, make us run away. This abiding, this noble abiding of kindness, we're cultivating the trust and the open-heartedness to be vulnerable, to be open to the pain and the pleasure, the doubt and the certainty, the liking and the disliking, and to help us move against this divisive attitude that's always pushing things away, we can encourage the heart by reminding it to welcome, to welcome things, to give space to things. And what can happen, as my teacher would put it, then we can allow the prisoners of our heart to be freed. Those prisoners that we keep in the darkness of non-attentiveness the darkness of not attending to them. We can allow them to become conscious. We can allow remorse and guilt and worry and gibberish to become conscious. And what can become conscious then can die a peaceful death. It can die into the silence. Just as if we're mindful of this talk, we can let each phrase die into the silence, die into the center, the stillness. And we can learn that the frightful and the sublime can appear and die in the silence. That abiding in this silence, spacious kindness that's not rejecting, we find something peaceful, something reliable. And trusting, trusting when the fear comes up, I can't just stay here. There's so much to do. I, I better, I better worry. I better plan. I better do something. And even though our worries and plans are very important and very and based on compassion, they're not rooted anymore in attentiveness. If we're just caught up in desperation without seeing it. If we can learn at times for our heart to stop and to resolutely let each condition, whether pleasant or unpleasant, let it arise and fall back into this kind, welcoming presence of mind, then when there is something to do, doing will happen naturally. Just as this bell, the openness of that bell, 
and sometimes contact it, it can ring. The more we fill our minds with all these kind of formulas and all these preferences, we're cluttered up. We can't, we can't respond. We can't ring like that. So I offer this evening the suggestion to have to cultivate faith, confidence and trust in this Dhamma, this teaching of the Buddha and the other great uh, masters who, are, who agree with him in this respect, to have confidence in, in kindness, in turning and being open and attentive to things which before we've rejected and sought, sought ease through fighting, ease through protection. To begin to have the confidence to see that this fighting leads to division, leads to fear, leads to birth and death, as that which we grasp at eludes us. To cultivate the trust, to stop, and be open, and begin to allow the prisoners of our heart to, to come into consciousness and be released. May, may our efforts this evening to contemplate May we, I feel prayer is a very important part of the Buddhist path, even though prayer is not a word you hear very often with Buddhism. I think it's very important to learn to pray that may our efforts be of benefit to everyone, to learn to allow our heart from time to time, to not just be obsessed with this sense of me, but to include our family, our friends, those inclining on the same path, the boy in the hospital and all those like him who are caught up in various kinds of suffering. May our efforts to practice this Dhamma, to incline towards truthfulness and kindness, may this in its own way, by the way of nature, may this benefit all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.